A quick content warning before we start. In this episode, we talk about a character's rape as another character's motivating backstory. That starts around 48 minutes in and continues for about four minutes after. There will be another warning when you get there, so now go ahead and make informed decisions. And now, on with the show! on the boys are back in town by thin lizzie this is bizarre podcast dogs must die my name is grant you can call him chip and we are talking about episodes four through six of stardust crusaders hi buddy are you throwing toys at me come here come here come here come here come be my friend (laughs) oh big stretch okay commentate on the anime with us come on Yes, uh, we, we are joined by a very special guest. My dog wanted to be on a lap for some reason. Real, real bad. <laughs> so everybody meet Moki. You will not hear her. <laughs> Just know she's there. Very polite dog. Uh, this episode is Dogs Must Commentate, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to start right where we left off with that uh, post-credits scene uh, with episode four, Tower of Grey. Although what I said is not entirely true because that begins with a cutaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we find Baba Yaga doing a, a uh, monologue about the nature of fear. <laughs> yeah, we, we get our first look at one of Dio's lackeys here, which is a very tiny squat uh, old lady uh, who sounds mm-hmm. like in the English dub, Rita Repulsa. Uh, <laughs> yeah, talking about the nature of fear. There's tons of just naked babes just laying around in Dio's uh, evil fog-filled castle. Well, he's got that unusual sensuality. Oh, yeah, it's this big <laughs> That buff... you wouldn't expect from a man. Yeah. <laughs> I never expected this. <laughs> but yeah, she she's listening every type of reaction you can have to fear, but she's like, ah, with Dio, there's a new reaction to being afraid, and that's just l- fucking loving it. <laughs> when you're the presence of Dio, you you feel joy from from the the fear you see in him. And then he just sticks his fingers in one of the the, the nude ladies and uh, has has a little snack, has mm-hmm. a little lady snack, and uh. In the neck, I mean, the the vampir- vampiric. No. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say there's not subtext, but... Sure. Yeah, while they're, they're talking about that, uh, the, this tiny old lady uh, changes the subject very abruptly and goes like, oh, so we got a guy on the plane that the, the Joe Stars were on. He's, <laughs> he's going to fuck him up real good. Don't worry, Lord Dio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're going to die. So back on that plane, uh, we, we see all, all of the boys taking a nap. Uh, I'm reminded that Avdol looks like someone heard the phrase hair plugs, but didn't quite <laughs> catch the meaning. Yeah. It's not just the boys that are taking a nap. Everyone on the plane is sound asleep right sound now. Incredibly sound asleep. Like, it's, it will become absurd how yeah. sound asleep everyone is. <laughs> uh, because all our boys wake up. Uh, uh, it starts with just, like, Avdol and Kakyoin, but uh, the, the Jojos also awaken uh, shortly. <laughs> and they, they just immediately see that bug from the, uh, the cliffhanger of the previous episode just zipping around. And uh, thankfully, the boys are observant enough to see a weird bug and immediately go, oh, is that a stand? <laughs> that bug is suspicious. This bug, as they watch it, uh, it seems to grow. It's like 20 times bigger than the way it looked in, in the cliffhanger. 
Yeah. I don't think there's enough space inside a, a an airliner cabin for for the first perspective to, to do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh and they they keep like trying to, you know, look at the bug but every time they do it like zips behind a chair really fast until suddenly it is just right next to Jotaro's head. The bug is frothing at the mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's a rabid bug. Apparently that's just what stands do between the nurse and now this bug. Oh, yeah. All stands have rabies. That's what I'm learning. Yeah. We have to put Star Platinum down. It's for some good. Oh, no. <laughs> Jojo, you do it. He's your ghost. <laughs> so now the bug is just floating right in front of them, and the bug kindly uh, stands still for a second for Abdul to go, oh, I've heard of a stand user who uses a bug stand like this to just f- cause mayhem, mm-hmm. and uh, I hear this bug likes to rip the tongues out of his victims. Uh, and Abdal's 100% correct, by the way. This bug yes. loves to rip out tubs. Uh, he, he knows it is named Tower of Grey. And uh, for the first time, we get a tarot lesson and how it yes. relates to uh, the stand. And this is one of the worst ones. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, one of the, the oldest, like, uh, uh, tarot reading jokes is <laughs> how, like, oh, you, you get the death card. Don't worry. It's not that bad. It, it's not as bad as it seems. You get the tower, though. You fucked up. <laughs> yeah you got to watch out so so it's all about like calamity and an interrupted journey so you know mm-hmm. the, the last thing you want to meet on a plane right yeah so uh let's take a moment since this is the first time this has come up let's rewind with some of the the other tarot cards that we've met up mm-hmm. to now that haven't had this benefit uh with the hermit uh, in, in divination represents prudence, circumspection, and also especially treason, dissimulation, roguery, corruption. Oh, what the? <laughs> <laughs> dissimulation and roguery, very good fits for Joseph, honestly. Yeah, yeah. If, if I don't know about treason. <laughs> I don't know about treason. I certainly don't know about prudence, but maybe that's a sign mm. that he's mellowed in his old age. I'd say he's mellowed out a bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, not not entirely, but most of those apply at least. The, the magician, very fitting for Avdol, actually. You know, it, it is associated with divination and, and the meeting of the spiritual and physical world. Mm. So, like, he, he is their guide into the mystic realm, a fortune teller himself. Yeah, perfect fit. Good job. Yep. I guess he named his own, so yeah, it better be a good <laughs> fit. <laughs> yeah. Avdol is self-aware. That That's nice. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hierophant for Hierophant Green uh, represents marriage. Mm. Hmm. He did say that he thought jo- Jotaro's mom was pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> that he would like to marry such a woman. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, alliance, captivity, servitude, uh, or by another account, mercy and goodness, inspiration. Uh, hmm. The man to whom the querent has recourse. <laughs> hmm. This whole like captivity and servitude thing very good for a puppet master stand okay yeah sure that that part works yeah 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 the star for star platinum uh, loss mm. theft privation abandonment hmm. another reading says hope and bright prospects wow those are some very different readings for the star there uh <laughs> my question is whose abandonment is is this about you know Jojo uh, falling away from the the Joe Star line and Joe Star mm. traditions? That could fit. I, I like that one. That that might be the most interesting question of uh, Jotaro's character right now. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, b- back to Avdol in the present. Uh, he he's listing the many crimes of Tower of Grey, I- including a-, a plane that crashed in England last year, killing three hundred. That was just blamed on, you know, mechanical failure or whatever. Because mm-hmm. his whole thing is uh, crashing planes and and train wrecks <laughs> and shit, and and then having them passed off not as foul play, but uh, just mysterious occurrences. Yeah. Uh, this could be a reference to Pan American Flight 103. Mm. Yeah, I was curious if there's a, a flight that matched up with that timeline at all in location. This event was about six months before this chapter was published. So okay. the, the time roughly matches. Also, uh, it exploded over Scotland and 270 died. So it's a pretty close match. Okay, sure. Yeah. The, the big difference is that that wasn't a, a mechanical failure in reality or in the press. It was a well-known case of terrorism. Uh, Libyan oh. nationals planted a bomb on the plane and exploded it. And like the, the legal history of this case is pretty interesting because someone was just charged with making the bomb last December, December what? of 2020. <laughs> Oh my God! That's how long and protracted the the investigation and and uh, the, uh, the the legal process has been for yeah. for this case. In, in part because you know uh, Gaddafi didn't give the guys up until like the late nineties, and <laughs> right. the bomb went off in the eighties. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know about any of that shit. Going back to the tarot card stuff, I want to bring up that like like here Avdol just knows of. Tower of Grey. He's heard stories and, and yeah, stuff. By, by uh, reputation. Yeah, by reputation. There are later stand users who Abdul, you know, might not know about, and they will introduce themselves with their tarot card, and I just wonder how all these people sync up so that they're never accidentally overlapping. <laughs> There's not a second Tower yeah. of Grey at any point. Everyone, cover, the, the, everyone covers... A single car up from the deck. And a single color. And there's I mean, and a single color, yeah. There's a lot of names for colors, sure. But there's only so many cards in the Major Arcana. <laughs> yeah. You know, for, for Avdol, at least, it's just like, ah, I like to name stands after tarot cards because I'm a fortune teller and I like to, you know, divine stuff. But everyone has gone with, <laughs> with that naming convention. <laughs> like, it's cool and I like that. Uh, but it is funny how, like, everyone's just like, Oh shit! Yeah, let's just name name our stands after colors and tarot cards. Uh, speaking of the the tarot cards, uh, in at the end of the last episode, you were wondering why uh, some of them have Lucky Land in uh, printed on them. Oh right, yeah. What is that? Lucky Land publication is Araki's uh, uh, company. That is oh, what he named his studio. Right. That's so right. It's not just on the Hermit. It's on the Star. It's. Uh, on most of the tarot cards, uh, actually, the, right. the phrase "Lucky Land" is hidden. That makes sense because I like I recognize the name from somewhere. I just could not remember where. I'm sure in the the week that has gone up between uploads, we have been corrected. But <laughs> yeah, almost almost definitely, yeah. Yeah, as Abdal is uh, explaining this stuff, uh, Jotaro just goes in to just punch the shit out of the bug with Star Platinum, and the mm-hmm. bug dodges out of the way. Uh, the, the the bug here is even faster than Star Platinum is. If I remember correctly, like the, <laughs> those stats for that you see it on the cards, Star Platinum is A in just about everything, and I think there is an S. Mm-hmm. So I guess the bug is an S. <laughs> <laughs> Bug is dodging around. Uh, it has like a weird little uh, uh, alien tongue, like with Ooh. a smaller mouth <laughs> mm-hmm. on the tongue that extends out and it, it shoots out of its mouth 
to go after Jotaro's or Star Platinum's tongue, uh, and he's barely able to block it. Like it goes straight through his hand, and he just bites down on it with his teeth to keep it from from going after his tongue. So much mouth violence. There's a good amount of mouth violence. Every yeah. stand fight so far of of our two stand fights, uh, mouth violence. Yeah, it's fairly common, I suppose. <laughs> um. The bug is just dodging everything everyone's thrown at them. Uh, they're now wondering, like, well, shit, we can't hit the bug. We should probably go after the guy using the stand, just punch him instead. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> I do like that, depending on the, the types of stands that people are fighting in JoJo, sometimes it's just easier to go after the pilot like it's a mech fight. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just go after the cockpit. Like, <laughs> the robot's too powerful. Just kill the guy driving it. <laughs> But, you know, like Joseph's wondering, oh, shit, which one of these people on the plane is, is uh, you know, commanding the stand. Everyone, despite the fact that people have already shouted a little bit, there's been some punching and stuff. Everyone's still sound asleep in this plane right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love that uh, uh, this bug is taunting them the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it hypes up how fast it is, how unpunchably fast it is by saying, like, okay, if you had 20 guns pointed at me, yes. point black range, they all went off, I could still dodge them all. But also, you can't shoot stands with guns anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That yeah. was just a rhetorical example. <laughs> yeah, it, it hasn't been established yet, I think, but around this time you learn that, yeah, the only way you can hurt a stand is with another stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's easy. It's either just kill the guy using it or use a stand to punch theirs because they're ghosts, man. Uh, anyways, the as uh, the bug is taunting everyone, it flies through the back of a seat and mm-hmm. burrows clean through a guy's head and just keeps going and goes through like four <laughs> sleeping guys so that it tears through all their faces and pulls out all of their tongues. And the bug says, oh, this is the best part. And with his proboscis <laughs> tongue thingy, uh-huh. uses the tongues to write the word massacre in blood on a wall. With really nice penmanship, honestly. Really nice it penmanship. should be commended. Yeah. And then the narrator pops in to just go, massacre, the meaning of this word, to kill everyone. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, while the the bug is flying around and and being just a giggly evil friend, <laughs> the, the whole crew's faces are in these angular uh, uh, inset windows that then yeah. zoom around each other and and flex and like okay that this is very Tamino. I'm at home. Thank you. I feel very <laughs> comfortable right now. Yes. Yeah. This happens every once in a while th- throughout Stardust Crusaders. Avdal tries to bring out Magician's Red, but like Hakiyoni and Sasuke goes like, yo, you cannot use fire inside of a fucking plane, dude. (laughs) Like almost everybody, almost all of our stands here are not good to use inside because we could just punch a hole in the plane. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just kill everyone. We're we're in a sealed environment, so you're you're either going to burn up all our air or you, Jojo, will just punch a hole in the fuselage and we're fucked. Yeah. An old man in the back of the plane gets up to go to the bathroom and he's like all, you know, bleary eyed. He's still really sleepy. So he's not really noticing what's going on. He Kakyoin continues to have a plan and it is to karate (laughs) chop old men for their own safety. Yeah, because the old man suddenly starts freaking out and making noise because he's he's like leaning on the wall before going to the bathroom. And then he puts his hand on the massacre writing. Why is my hand all sticky? 
Yeah. Oh, no, it's blood. So, yeah, Kakyoin just karate chops him unconscious before he can wake everyone else up and, and cause a panic. Yeah, Kakyoin's like, okay, everyone, uh, so many people's stands here are just going to fuck this plane up. We need, like, a more discreet, subtle stand. Here, here's my chance to, you know, help out, help the group out with, with Hierophant Green. And he starts um, immediately doing emerald splashes. And, like, that yeah. can liquefy someone's insides through their chest. How is that not a threat yeah. to, to cabin integrity? Yeah, I also wonder this. Like, it is established and, and like, continues to be so that, like, Hierophant Green isn't, like, the strongest stand, just, like, with its attacks Mm-hmm. Uh, c- compared to a lot of others. Uh, it has a C in destructive power. Yes. I found a chart. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, so maybe he just intuitively knows that Emerald Splash is weak enough to not punch puncture holes <laughs> in the cabin. But it's still like, damn, that's a lot of Chaos Emeralds you're shooting. <laughs> and there's a lot of people who I think could get one of these in the face and die. I don't know. Yeah, he's firing a ton of these all over the place, and the bug is, you know, just still taunting him. He can just dodge around every single one of these, no problem. Uh, He goes after Kakyoin's tongue. More mouth violence. More mouth violence, but, like, you know, he goes after the stand, not Kakyoin himself. So it just, like, breaks the little, like, apparatus over the stand's mouth uh, for the first hit, so he isn't able to get at the tongue. But uh, Kakyoin has had a a plan the whole time. He's using the Emerald Splash to uh, distract the bug. Mm-hmm. keep him in kind of in one place just dodging stuff endlessly so that he can grow you know send a bunch of his stands tentacles around to the side and behind the bug so that they can shoot out without him noticing and just impale him from multiple directions yes yes uh it, it is a simple but clever turnabout you know using mm-hmm. uh the attack presenting the attack as you know the main attack but it's really just sort of suppressing fire to, to box tower of gray in ha 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 to this mm-hmm. unseen grapple uh, but this follows evidence that, uh, I guess the first piece of evidence that none of these guys are really good at trash talk. More will follow. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, uh, Tower of Grey is talking about how, you know, ah, I'm going to steal your tongue and I'm going to give you such pain, you know, you'll go mad. And Kakyoin responds, I'll go mad, all right, from pure joy. Like, that doesn't mean anything, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really bad one-liner. <laughs> That's the, uh, you're the stupid one of stand users. <laughs> yeah. With a bunch of his tentacles, like, piercing the the bug, he just rips it into tiny pieces. And the old man that he had knocked out previously suddenly wakes up. His tongue sticks out. There's, like, a, a, like, tattoo of a bug that appears on his tongue. His tongue rips in fucking half and his head explodes. And then they cover him with a tarp. Surely no one will notice the exploded head man under this tarp. God... Uh, Kakyoin just goes like, oh yeah, I guess that was the stand user. Uh, that old man was pretty gross. That's pretty fitting. <laughs> uh, gross stands usually have gross users or, or he said something, something along those lines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This stretch of episodes we're talking about, I really appreciate for how they give like a, a functional niche for each member of the team, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, Avdol is clearly, you know, their their mystic, their their guide to r- the spiritual world. But Kakyoin is their uh, sort of a tactician, but more of their, you know, the 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 smart one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Kakyoin. He's their world traveler honor student, you know. <laughs> yeah, in just about any fight he's in, he's always the one doing like either clever or or like stealthy stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
he he's the most fact knowing one of the group yeah within or without of a fight that is his role he he yeah. knows true facts and also like kakyoin is one of the you know two teenage boys on on this so he has to be like the contrast to jotaro because he is a very nice boy mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to jotaro and we see that immediately yeah. uh, because the stewardesses have finally woken up the flight attendants uh, and they are all about uh, uh, Jojo. Oh, my goodness. He's so handsome. He's mm. half your age, ladies. Come on now. <laughs> He's twice your height, though. So uh, <laughs> he also insults them immediately and yeah, then sends them away. Yeah. He just like pushes them to the side and says, move, bitch. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, Kakyoin catches both of these ladies and he's just like, oh, I'm so sorry about my rude friend. That is su- such inexcusable behavior to treat women in such a cruel way. But this is an emergency. I am so sorry. Please forgive him. There yeah, and is then- a fun dynamic here of Kakyoin <laughs> using Jojo as an unwitting wingman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this happens a couple times. Yeah. Uh, well, well yes, yeah. I, I will take your cast offs uh, uh, and, and mm-hmm. impress them with my charms. Avdol is shocked at this uh, behavior, though. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're going for the cockpit. Uh, Joseph gets in, and oops, all the pilots are dead. They've already had their their uh, tongues ripped out. Mm-hmm. The autopilot is also uh, deactivated. I assume its yep. tongue has been ripped out somehow. Oh, I don't know. Man, the very important plane tongue. So yeah, the plane is, is starting to to go down. It's going to crash. Uh, and as they discover this, the fucking old man is still alive. Actually, mm-hmm. at least for a little bit. Uh, just to come up with that tarp, now worn like a spooky cloak, uh, <laughs> once again explaining you know, what his tarot card, his stand associated with means, uh, taunting them, telling them that uh, you know, he is a servant of Lord Dio and he's not going to let them even get close to finding him. And, you know, oh, you may have defeated me, but, you know, there's so many servants of Dio. You're going to be hounded every day of your life uh, until we kill you. Yeah, he monologues pretty good for a dead guy, and then he just yeah. collapses again. The end. Yeah, he just exp- more blood explodes out of him <laughs> now. Okay, now he's officially dead. There we go. The stewardesses are scared. They saw an old man explode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jotaro says, "Hey, to to the stewardesses, he goes, wow, you ladies really are professionals because you didn't scream at an old man exploding. That's good <laughs> because that would have been really annoying if you did. <laughs> he's so mean." Anyways, yeah, he tells the stewardesses, like, hey, tell, like, wake everybody up, because they slept through that whole fight somehow. I don't know how you're going to wake them up if they didn't wake up from I know. <laughs> Some of them have emeralds embedded in their skulls. Don't oh, worry no. about it. Tell everyone to buckle up. We're going to, uh, this, my grandpa here is going to try to land this plane in the, in the water. Which is news to Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's immediately starting to worry. Uh, we, we get a little bit of, you know, a uh, reminder of, of Joseph's adventures in part two, because he mm-hmm. starts talking about, you know, okay, I have some experience flying propeller planes. And uh, zero experience landing any plane. Just yeah. want to point that out. <laughs> yeah. He's always jumped out of a plane he has been in. And he even brings up, you know, this is going to be my third time in a plane that's fucking crashing. So... <laughs> I'm not good luck for planes, I guess. So the plane goes down. Everyone is recovered. Uh, we, we immediately cut to uh, uh, the boys in, in Hong Kong, which is where they nearly made it to, mm-hmm. watching news coverage uh, of the, the plane uh, being fished out of the sea near Lama Island, which is where Chow Yun-Fat was born and raised. Oh, huh. Okay. Yeah. How about that? Huh. 
And the narrator fucking loves Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, we, we're g- going to continue the tradition here of anytime we get to a new place, the narrator is going to give us like a quick... <laughs> like tourist okay you say quick but this feels endless (laughs) okay no you're right it is kind of long like introducing like the million dollar view like the skyline of this place at least hong kong is a place you can actually go unlike uh win night's rest yeah the the tradition of like this tourism stuff is like if i remember correctly at least starting with part three Whenever Iraqi decided, like, the setting or settings for a story before he would actually start working on it, he would literally just take a vacation there and just Mm -hmm. do a bunch of sightseeing. So every JoJo part that is somewhere other than Japan always feels like uh, a vessel for, like, his vacation slides, almost. (laughs) I don't know. He likes to travel. There's eventually a, a JoJo part that is mainly in America where he wrote in like the back of one of the volumes or an interview or something where he's just like, so when I went to America, I found out that a lot of it is just fucking huge and there's nothing there. (laughs) (laughs) And so I try to reflect that in the story. Yeah. He, he really seems to just enjoy tourism in general. So that leaks in a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. However, Joseph does not enjoy tourism. Oh no. (laughs) He enjoys making phone calls, uh, uh, demanding to, to charter some new ride with no passengers, minimum crew, because he is certain everyone around them will die. Mm -hmm. And, and while everyone else is waiting, there's like waiting right next to a random like food cart. And this guy's like, Hey, do you want some rice porridge? And that this is where Kakyoin uh, immediately turns into a Wikipedia article and starts explaining uh-huh. uh, rice porridge to uh, Jotaro here. Uh, and he's like, Oh, I'm going to have it the popular way with uh, pork and a century egg, please. And he's just so jazzed to explain rice porridge to people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Joseph finishes his phone call and just starts slapping food out of everybody's mouths. Yeah. Uh, I hate porridge. I hate century egg. Yeah, Joseph, Joseph is immediately like, if we're going to eat here, we're going to eat at the place that I like. I've been here before. We're going <laughs> to if this is the one place I approve of. The guy's offering like hot cola and he's just like, fuck that. Fuck you. supposed to be cold. It's cold. You drink it cold. <laughs> Shut up. And you shoot cops with it. God damn it. <laughs> So yeah, we they everyone goes to uh the the restaurant that Joseph likes. Mhm. <laughs> and they begin laying out a plan. Jo- Joseph lays down a map and and the real tension here is between uh the ticking clock of Holly's fate underneath Dio's curse mm-hmm. and their need to like minimize collateral damage cuz that plane thing could have went real south real quick. Mhm. Joseph brings up fucking uh, Jules Verne. Mm-hmm. We get story time with Pop Pop. <laughs> he explains. He has to explain around the world in 80 days to, to prove yeah. that it's okay. We can get to Egypt in less than 50. It's yeah, fine. Man. It's it's fine. Even if we go a slower a slower route, like we can we can do this. We got a bunch of time. 50 is a plenty of time. Uh, so the big decision is whether they go by land or by sea. And Avdol uh, makes a really good point. This is the first JoJo story set in the era of like border checkpoints and visa mm. applications. Mm-hmm. So uh, never mind the, the mountains and the desert. That's a big complication that they won't have to deal with if they just get a steamer ship and, and fucking go. Yeah, <laughs> just go around a bunch of this shit. So yeah, Avdol is proposing, you know, just going by sea and both jotaro and kakyoin are just like i don't know man i'll leave it up to you i've never mm-hmm. been here 
<laughs> I've never traveled out here. I'm a high school student from Japan. <laughs> so yeah, it's agreed upon. They're going to try and get a, a ship chartered. Uh, they're still worried that, you know, they're going to encounter Dio's stand users, even on a fucking boat that they charter themselves. Uh, and as they're saying this, there's a big, beefy, ominous man also mm-hmm. in the restaurant at a separate mm-hmm. table. Kakyoin is uh, teaching... Jotaro like manners when yes. you're in a restaurant in in China in in Hong Kong. The, the proper way to to signify that you want your tea refilled and how how fast they are at refilling your tea. And you tap the table to say thanks. I need. <laughs> I demand a JoJo chapter set in Chicago. <laughs> Oh my god. So someone has to like explain the concept of dibs and then like why there's a bunch of folding chairs out on the curb. <laughs> I mean, you never know. A later part that could literally happen. <laughs> just, you just gotta. I think you just have some somehow had to seep into Araki's Twitter feed if he has one, or or some sort form of social media. Just make Chicago interesting to him in a way. It's like I gotta go and visit that myself, and then he'll become <laughs> obsessed with it for you know a year or two because mm-hmm. he based the story in there. Um, there is no end to like ancient evils that can wake up in the Field Museum. Like, come on, come on. <laughs> Oh my god! And you know what? That would not be the first time an ancient evil is in a muse- a real ass museum in JoJo. Because at a certain years ago, the Louvre had like a whole art show based around like manga authors and mm-hmm. Araki, like a bunch of manga authors, uh, got commissioned by the Louvre to make some type of art involving the museum. And Araki straight up made an entire manga that is uh, a JoJo ghost story set in the Louvre, mm-hmm, <laughs> where there's mm-hmm. an ancient evil in the archives. I, I assume uh, it really is a, a sequel to, to Dan Brown's uh, classic work. Oh, yeah, sure. Do they reference that? In that It's been a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they did. But anyways, there's precedence for a thing like that. But anyways, this big, beefy, mysterious man who we saw earlier uh, walks up to the, the, the gang here. Super high flat top hair. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. He, he's wearing a tube top, but with one shoulder, basically. I don't really know how to explain <laughs> his shirt. Yeah, it's, it's hard to explain, but it's probably the beefiest guy we've seen in part three. Yeah. He, he's yeah. getting close. He's not quite there, but he's getting close to Jonathan Joestar proportions. He's pretty big. <laughs> So this guy, by the way, uh, yeah, the really tall, flat top hair, this guy, along with Stroheim, influenced the appearance of Guile in Street Fighter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he comes up to the gang and says, like, hey, this is my first time here. I'm having a hard time reading the menu. Can you help me out? Jojo is real pissy about it, but he's always outvoted because he's traveling with three friendly boys. <laughs> yeah. You know, Joseph's saying, like, hey, why don't, you know, I, I've been here a bunch of times. I can help you with the menu. Why don't you, you know, sit down and eat with us? You know, going over the menu and all this stuff. Joseph orders for everyone without any of their input. Yeah, yeah. And he names a bunch of stuff that that he's going to order without their input. And then just, like, points on the menu to the waiter. And the waiter brings out completely different things that are not what he <laughs> said. Yeah, a bunch of clams, some like frogs and shit. Uh, like a whole ass fish, some whole ass frogs with the faces looking at you. Yeah. So basically, uh, th- this is a meal for five people. He ordered four entrees that nobody wanted, not even him. <laughs> Real generous there, Joe. What the fuck? Oh, man. It's really funny uh, throughout this entire part how much like old man Joseph is so crotchety and he has to have things his way. Yeah. <laughs> or else he gets pissy. 
But at least Kakyoin is having a good time. He likes the clams a lot, actually. And he doesn't even admit his, like, uh, mistake in not ordering what he thought he was ordering. He's just, eh, it's all good. It's fine. Whatever. Shut up. It's fine. It's good. It's good. But this new mystery man is, yo, being friendly, eating with them. But then he picks up a carrot, one of the carrots that's been cut into the star of a shape. And it's just like, oh, isn't this cute? It's cut into the shape of a star. It reminds me of something. Uh, that's right. I know someone with this exact mark on their neck. Mm-hmm. Surprise, he is a, a servant of Dio. Isn't that surprising? Because everyone we've spoken to since the school nurse has been a stand user. Yeah. If you ever encounter somebody that you don't know and they start talking to you, just immediately assume they're a stand user. Even if it's an old dude who's just getting up to pee in the middle of the night, he's lying. He's a stand user. Yeah, you don't have to be buff or strong to have a stand at all. You can be <laughs> fucking anybody. Anybody can have a stand. And as he is ta- as this man is taunting them with like the little star carrot, uh, their super porridge or whatever it is starts bubbling, and then a big robot arm shoots out of it with a sword, <laughs> a rapier in its hand. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A-, a-, a fencing epee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is Silver Chariot. The chariot represents sucker, providence, also war, triumph, a presumption, vengeance, trouble. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too heavy into spoiler, but like a lot of that is very fitting for this character. This this is the right choice. Yep. Yep. But Avdal immediately throws out Magician's Red and shoots some fire at this dude. But this, this guy with his sword, he just swings around the fire and he uh, just wraps the fire around his sword slings it at a table that got knocked over and (laughs) draws a clock made out of fire on it. (laughs) Yes. Yes, he does. That is a thing you can do. Uh, And he tells Avdol, uh, since you attacked me first, you will be the first to die. I've made a fire clock on that table because the the fire clock actually seems to be continuing to take accurate time. He says, Mm -hmm. when the fire clock strikes 12, you will be dead. (laughs) Which gives him a couple hours, I think. Like three hours or something like that. Yeah. But that's the that's the end of episode four. Mm hmm. Which brings us to episode five, Silver Chariot. Uh, These episodes tend to all be named after the stand, what they fight in them. Yep. Most of the episodes are named that, yeah. So we're we're picking up right where we left off. Uh, uh, Before we fight, let us both puff ourselves up and lay Mm -hmm. down some expectations. Huzzah! (laughs) Yeah. Avdal is trying to say like okay sure you took my flames and and drew a clock out of them you you can expertly deflect my flames but i just don't shoot flames i can you know like control any fire even after i've i've launched he gives like the wonka vader speech for how many directions he can make flames burn yeah it's it's not just i shoot them i can just move any fire around i want so he like takes out the clock like that, that that's not a thing anymore the end i control fire Yep, and now we got the the other guy here who, uh, by the way, has introduced himself as Jean-Pierre Polnareff. One of the least recognizable music references, because who listens to Michel Polnareff in any English-speaking country? (laughs) Yeah, and Polnareff here immediately goes, oh yeah, we'll check this shit out. Throws a bunch of coins in the air, stabs his sword through all of them, but oh no, it wasn't just that he cut through the, you know, pierced the the coins. He also uh, 
cut through the fire that was in the air and made a little shish kebab where each yes. cut piece of flame is in between one of the coins he peers. So he's made a <laughs> coin and fire shish kebab. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. This is very impressive. Everyone is very shocked. He keeps Im- impressing on them that, uh, you know, his, his sword is so sharp and precise. He, he can cut into like the nothingness between nothingness. Yeah, I don't he, know what that means, but it he, sounds rad. <laughs> Yeah, he can create vacuums in the air. He cuts stuff so he cuts through the air so fast and hard uh, that he can. Once again, it. just imagine the waitstaff watching their dining room <laughs> burn down. Their tip gets skewered by an invisible ghost. They cannot see stands. Yeah, they have no idea what the fuck is happening. <laughs> But yeah, they don't fight here. Polnareff is like, I don't like fighting in cramped spaces. Let's go somewhere else in a much more open space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which uh, he, he says is is letting Avdol, you know, uh, uh, fight to the top of his abilities. Uh, uh, a cramped space is a disadvantage for Magician's Red. And, and you know, mm-hmm. he wants to fight Avdol at his best. Polnareff is, is Wamu's illegitimate son. Mm-hmm. This is my headcanon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's very much along those lines here. Uh, they go to the, the the venue for the fight, which is Tiger Bomb Garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, this absolutely feels like a place Araki went to, and, was just, and he was just like, "Ooh, cool! I'm gonna have guys fight here." Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it seems super cool. I'll never know because it was demolished to to put up condos in mm-hmm. 2004. Yeah, I always I I remember looking this place up before, going like, "This seems like a real place," and it's not anymore, man. Bummer. <laughs> I don't know why. Like when I first saw this, I just immediately had the impression of like this can't. This place has to have been demolished by now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's a real like weird, colorful place, just full of weird sculptures and, and art and stuff. It's it seems positively psychedelic the way it yeah. is presented in the show. There are huge, whimsical uh, statues of of all manners of animal and creature. Mm-hmm. The, uh, everything is painted in in warm, almost pastel, but but very bright tones. Yeah. Everything's just kind of a rainbow. Yes. Yeah. Everything <laughs> yeah. looks like a, 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 a sherbet rainbow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, everyone's all squared up to fight. Uh, the rest of the gang have agreed to just watch this one-on-one duel instead of just <laughs> piling up on this dude all at once. They, they, Everyone in the gang admires a one-on-one duel, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they, they are continuing to uh, uh, boast about their abilities and outline exactly what their abilities are while demonstrating them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it seems to me maybe every stan's power is preci- is precision because they all seem really good at it <laughs> yeah it's a uh, precision in what is is usually like, okay i have precision in flame or with my sword and jotaro is just everything i am <laughs> precise at everything basically abdal's like firing off flames and polnareff is reflecting them and throwing them at a sculpture, which then, uh, oh wait, he just didn't, you know, reflect the flames with his sword. He carved the statue into the shape of Magician's Red with the flames. And if that's not precision, him. what is? This is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, Abdal is, like, d- doing some, like, special attacks here. He specifically can, like, shoot big flames in the shape of an onk. Yes, this is his crossfire hurricane. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is that for the most part with stand fights, once we get out of, like, the beginning with them, there aren't too many, like, special attacks with names. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. really only at the start where we get, like, crossfire hurricane well, and, like... What what lyric sounds more like an anime superpower than crossfire hurricane? Like, you, you... <laughs> Yeah. Ev- everything's downhill from there. 
Mm-hmm. Polnareff knocks, you know, reflects that crossfire hurricane back at Polnareff, and now Polnareff is fucking on fire and in mm-hmm. pain, uh, falling to the ground. Uh, and as Polnareff is about to cut Magician's Red in half, oh no, now he's on fi- <laughs> on fire <laughs> because what Polnareff attacked was not actually Magician's Red and Avdol, but rather... Avdol set the magician's red sculpture Polnareff made on fire and by melting it enough made it look like it was <laughs> the actual real magician's red movie. Yes, yes. Flames so precise, you might say, <laughs> that they melted the joints and, and yeah. then manipulated the arms of this stone uh, uh, sculpture. <laughs> yeah, this, this, is a, this is a dumbass fight. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Pol- or Abdul nails Polnareff with a crossfire hurricane right in the face, uh, mm-hmm, and he mm-hmm. goes flying. It looks like you know he's smoking and sizzling. It looks like he's finished. Everyone's walking away, going like, "Ah, he's done for." Okay, we're we're leaving. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead, uh, Polnareff launches into the air. It looks like his stand explodes, but Polnareff is fine. He's just floating midair now uh, after doing a big jump. Mm-hmm. And aha, check this out. My stand is actually fine. Uh, I mitigated the damage of, of being hit by that attack because uh, my stand actually has two like modes to it. You, you've been fighting the, the base one. And now it has ejected all of its, its armor. Uh, so now it's super fast, even faster than before. Uh, uh, we're, we're getting uh, the, the truly innovative narrative structure of both show and tell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> As we uh, uh, describe just how fast it is, while seeing clear demonstrations of just how fast it is. At this point, as as Avdol and Polnareff just keep uh, uh, bragging to each other and trying to impress one another, like, just kiss al- already. <laughs> just kiss. You want yeah. to kiss. Just kiss. Yeah, they're they're getting really into just trying to impress each other here. Silver Cherry with its armor ejected. It's, like, really skinny now. So, also, Silver Cherry is kind of like a, f- uh, a robot man. Yes. He, he he looks entirely like, you know, comprised out of metal. He's mm-hmm. got like, he, parts of him kind of look like they're made out of an erector set. He's got like big screws in like his elbow joints and stuff. Um, he looks like, you know, he's just been put together out of a couple pieces. Mm-hmm. But his face kind of makes him look more like a knight, you know, like wearing kind of like a knight's helmet. Right, um, right, right. But with really big, kind of cute, cartoony eyeballs behind <laughs> yeah, it. I don't know. He's a cutie. He, he, the silver chair is kind of cute. But yeah, with his armor popped off, it looks more skeletal. Can, it's kind of got like a me- metallic ribcage shape on its chest. So, so now it is time for for part two. But after yeah. we get a uh, silver chariot as the the commercial break info card. Oh right, yeah. It's just super fast, man. It's, it's, it's super the main fast. Thing. It's super yeah. fast. Yeah, Silver Cherry is so fast now that, like, you know, earlier Polnareff was, appeared to be floating in air, but it was actually his stand was so fast that even they couldn't see it holding him up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's fast enough to create shadow clones yeah, or shadow clones after himself. images. Yeah. Depending on whether you like, uh, uh, one is the sub, one is the dub. Also, one is Dragon Ball, one is Naruto. Yeah. So, pick your which, poison. Yeah, which one, whichever one you prefer. I will go with Dragon Ball. <laughs> Yeah, it looks like Abdal's having a very difficult time hitting uh, mm-hmm. Silver Chariot and all this stuff. But actually, he is doing a, a kind Silver of Silver a... Chariot is is carving onks into Abdal's cheeks. Oh yes, <laughs> which is right. just a weird taunt. Like, <laughs> yeah, 
Very, uh, very fancy. This is the wordiest episode in a long time because they can't just is. exchange blows or attacks. They, they have to directly command their stand or say something to one another. But but yeah, after like uh, um, Crossfire Hurricane after Crossfire Hurricane, Avdol once again explains that uh, he can do a special Crossfire Hurricane mm-hmm. firing not only one giant Ankh, but, but uh, any number of Ankhs that move in any number of uh, directions yeah he he keeps reiterating that like you know he just doesn't shoot fire he can divide his fire up into as many pieces as he wants and control all of them individually compared to most stand fights this one almost feels like a pokemon trainer duel (laughs) because of how much Mm -hmm. they they like actively out loud commanding their stand yes yes most of the time in stand fights the most like commanding that you hear them like vocalize is just like shouting their stand's name while they bring it out Mm -hmm. but here it's just constantly like yeah just like you know pikachu thunderbolt attack or whatever you know (laughs) um i mean it's it's also in a great big open arena yeah uh, that doesn't come up much like (laughs) yeah yeah ever since that statue thing this could be anywhere Mm mm-hmm yeah, Avdol's kind of doing a similar setup to uh, what Kakyoin did previous episode, where a lot of his attacks are actually diversions for the the his actual finishing blow, which is... I mean, it's essentially exactly the same. Uh, yeah. He, he does a, a uh, Crossfire Hurricane special, and while Polnareff is sending Silver Chariot to, to just skewer and disperse all of these many Ankhs, he loses count, and one comes up from a, a tunnel below that was uh, dug by an earlier example of the attack and mm-hmm. just hits Polnareff square, immolating him completely. <laughs> yeah, Polnareff is just, he's defeated. He's just completely, 100% on fire. This part is very funny because, like, he's in pain, but just more like a, Ah, way, and not like a ah way, which you know, a man would be if he was on fire. They're talking uh, about like, oh yeah, he's super dead. His flesh is melting off. Let's just walk away. And he's just like, damn, this sucks. Yeah, like Avdol straight up, like he had a dagger on him this whole time. Apparently, he just drops it in front of Polnareff. It's just like, yo, you should just kill yourself right now because dying by being on fire fucking sucks. Later. Uh, Stop, Drop, and Roll was introduced in the 1970s, uh, uh, <laughs> by the way. Uh, the, the first Stop, Drop, Drop, and Roll PSA, before they, they even came up with that name, uh, mm. actually starred Dick Van Dyke. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, however, I am reminded that that uh, is only like an English-speaking thing, so I asked the one person I know who was raised in France. Mm. Uh, she said they do not have an equivalent, so maybe that's an explanation. <laughs> okay, sure, yeah. But Polnareff here grabs that dagger and goes like, okay, maybe I'm going to kill myself, but he can't do it. Well, um, the first thought he has is maybe I'm going to throw it into Avdol's back out right, of revenge. Yeah. And yeah. then he thinks maybe I'm going to kill myself. And then he's like, no, it is the right thing to do to let the flames consume my body and congratulate you as you walk away. That, that is my duty as a man. Yeah. And of course, this, as, as usual... Someone will be impressed by this act, and this time is Abdol. <laughs> uh-huh. And so he he just snaps his fingers and turns the flames off, uh, and goes like, "You know what? You might be a nice guy. Like even a Dio servant, like has some type of like chivalry and honor to him. Let's check you out, buddy." And of course, just, you know, just kiss already, hair. Jesus! Come on, just, just kiss this guy. Come on, parts his hair a little bit, uh, and you know, there's a there's a control bud there, a vampire 
butt or whatever. Uh, so they pull that out. Well, they don't even have to hum on it because it's just bright outside. So it just melts in the sun. Uh, Joseph just hates the flesh buds so much. Oh, yeah. He's doing like a weird... He's like really squicked out by... He's doing like a weird wiggle. Maybe all the tentacles remind him of Santana. You know, he's got bad associations <laughs> with weird, gross, foul flesh. He he Yeah, he just doesn't like to be reminded of Meat Invade. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Polnareff uh is at the docks as they're about to, to head off on their Speedwagon Foundation charter ship mm-hmm. uh and, and congratulates them as they go and then it's like hey uh old dude take off your gloves real quick I gotta I gotta see something this might be an odd request but I have to see your hands to see if you have two right hands <laughs> which is a thing that gloves would not adequately hide i would think but yeah ne- never mind never mind never mind uh he, he is on the the hunt for the the backwards handed man not long after the princess bride hit theaters i'm not i'm not yep. saying i'm just uh, you know coincidences no. happen yeah but like dude this guy has <laughs> to be based on Aniga montoya because like his character motivation is so fucking similar looking for a guy with two of the same hand like uh, an expert fencer looking for a dude with a weird hand uh, yep. be, out of vengeance for his family's shame. Uh, mm, it's it's got to be. It's it. <laughs> So speaking of family shame, it is his turn to have a flashback. Yeah. Which is not his own flashback, actually. No. He is telling a story told to him by his sister's friend. Uh, his sister and, and her young friend were out... Uh, at night and I, I love the atmosphere of this because like um Mm-mm. like the, the the two young ladies aren't animated walking they they just like fade in and out a few steps ahead at a time like passing through yeah. like ghosts yeah yeah it's a very evocative way to to communicate a mood while also saving frames mm-hmm. i love it i love it when people do this because we got to put the animation budget on a uh, magician's red fire we got all yeah. the fire burns frames baby <laughs> so so what happens is the two of them are accosted on the road by a man who is not getting wet from uh, uh, the rain the, there's like an invisible shell protecting him mm-hmm. f- from the rain and Polnareff's uh, young sister is uh, her innocence is stolen she is shamed mm-hmm. uh, if you are wondering where that uh, uh, content warning I put in at the beginning of the episode kicks in this is the place yep. Yep. Uh, because these are euph- uh, euphemisms, or rather the, the common translations for euphemisms that show up all the time in anime and manga for rape and other sexual violence. Mm-hmm. Polnareff, uh, his great quest uh, for vengeance is a world-spanning trip to find the man with two right hands that raped and killed his sister. Yeah, and also attacked like his sister's friend as well and like left her there like just to die she survived somehow but mm-hmm. um yeah there there's a handful of times where rape comes up throughout jojo and it's never like a thing you see it is just always like this is why this guy is bad mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's a stand user rapist and it's like every time it comes up just like i don't know can we <laughs> i don't know if jojo's the right place to handle any of this stuff yeah yeah it's you know, uh, uh we, we just had this guy cut fire into a clock i don't know if we need and and if we're going to deal with it if we're going to get heavy can we have things from a survivor's perspective 
Yeah. And instead of the the survivor, uh, uh, well, I, I mean, in this case, she's also a murder victim. So I don't know if survivor is the word, unfortunately. Sure. And not have them just be an object of motivation. <laughs> yeah. Like it so often ends up being, especially in, you know, media like JoJo, that's usually more aimed at boys than anything else. If that ever comes up, it's always just kind of as like a revenge motivation for a mm-hmm, mm-hmm. again i've only seen everything through part five but part three probably has the most of this type of stuff it's again it's not particularly common either but it probably where it comes up the most this type of stuff mm-hmm. mainly just because of, of polnareff but anyway I, I learned about this linguistic uh, uh twist of phrase when i was trying to figure out what what the hell uh Rekua's deal is uh in zeta gundam there you go oh okay yeah yep. yeah yeah what do you mean you were shamed when you were a child soldier in the one year war? What does that mean? Yeah, it, it, it that is. Oh, a, yeah. oh, yeah. That has come up in just enough anime I've seen where it's like whenever I they do a really vague euphemism, it's like, oh, it's that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A- anyway, yeah, we we get to the end of this uh, um, uh, flashback and and hear that yeah, Polnareff only knows this second hand from from the friend who survived the encounter, even though her chest exploded in a fountain of blood. Yeah. Uh, Maybe stand users really aren't that dangerous when it's all told. Either that or this lady is just super tough. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe she should join the crew. She seems tough as hell. So, you know, again, the, the show is pretty accurate to the the panels of the manga. They're basically just using most of the, po- the panels as storyboards, as a lot of anime adaptations do, I'm sure. But they keep the really wild poses in. And yeah. there's a part here where Yeah, Polnareff like I'm is... trying to take Polnareff seriously. You're, you're laying all this tragic shit on me. It's, it's moody as hell. And then you do this? Yeah, D- Polnareff gets real dramatic here. And he says, my sister's soul would not be able to rest unless this man atones with his death. And as he says this, we get like a wide fish fisheye lens angle of him taking a really wide stance where he's one leg is completely you know, stepping forward, his other leg is all the way back, and he has such a fucking hard lean on. Yeah, he he is barely hovering over the pavement. One has to assume Silver Chariot is holding him uh, uh, yeah. from from just face planning. Like he limbo is, champion of all Earth, Jean Pierre Bolnareff. <laughs> it is an insane, impossible pose he is striking, but it is like a really iconic panel of Polnareff, and they keep it the same for the show, and I love it. <laughs> And of course, like the colors get all crazy for this pose as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, it is just such a wild pose. Though, like the way his his chest is there, he he is like arching his back super fucking hard to achieve his pose. Like, <laughs> man, with with that declaration made, we we see the lengths to which he will go to find his sister's killer. He's mm-hmm. he's like this weird shit must have been the work of a stand user. I gotta seek out stand users, and that eventually took him to Dio. Dio is just chilling out with a bird in a hat. He's got oh, a hat yeah. bird. Real cool hat on this bird. It's, it's like the, the falconry hood, but it looks cooler than a falconry yeah, hood. It's a cool bird that's on Dio's shoulder. <laughs> and Dio's like, hey, um, I know all about stand users. I could probably point you at, at the right guy if you join my evil army. Mm-hmm. And Polnareff says, yes, my quest for vengeance is so strong. I will join your evil army. Yeah. 
you know, Dio's also like fortune telling stuff because again, we're seeing a shot here where it looks like he's got a stand that's basically just hermit purple, mm-hmm. um, and he's using that to divine images in his crystal ball. It's showing Polnareff images that tempt him in, into become Dio's servant here. Back in the present, uh, the the Joe Star group is like, hey. Your sister's killer is an evil stand user. That is clear. But Dio is also an evil stand user. Therefore, by logic, they're actually working together. So you should help us kill Dio, and we'll probably find the end of your vengeance quest along the way. And Polnareff <laughs> yeah. says, yes, this is logical. <laughs> of course I shall do this thing. Yeah, sure, man. So yeah, we've got the the fifth party member of Stardust Crusaders here now, Jean-Pierre yes. Polnareff. All the crew in the opening and the ending are, are united together. <laughs> mm-hmm. And while, while you know everyone's getting excited, they've recruited a new member. Uh, two like teenage girls come by and it's like, hey, can you get a... They go up to Jotaro and say, hey, could you take a picture of us? You know, we're touring. Are these teenagers or are these the the uh, uh, plane oh. hostesses from earlier? <laughs> they, they could just... They look a lot like the plane hostesses. I don't know. But... But, you know, Jotaro's being the rude, mean boy he is and goes like, no, I don't want to do this. Fuck off. This time it's Polnareff's turn to to take the, the cast offs. It's like, hey, ladies, I'll take a picture of you. Like, th- this is a fun running gag, but immediately showing off uh, Polnareff's leg fetish is <laughs> kind of a weird swerve to take the punchline. Yeah. Polnareff is the horniest of the gang in Stardust Crusaders. So, like, he doesn't just say, oh, you have lovely legs. I'll be sure to take fit them in the frame, which is like, eh, already. But we see the viewfinder of the camera. He's just zoomed in on their legs. <laughs> and it's like, dude, you're not getting the pictures. <laughs> the, these aren't coming out like, you know, this isn't a... a you know, you're not getting the Polaroids spitting out of this camera. They have to get the film developed later. They're not going to mail you the pictures of their legs to you. <laughs> you're going to be on a boat in like 10 minutes, dude. And that's that's the end of the episode. <laughs> uh-huh. With, with this episode, and I guess uh, the the following episode that we'll, we'll have in the next podcast, also like, I guess some content warnings. I don't know. The show, this next episode and the episode following... Just mm-hmm. get a little weird about a little girl a little bit, and I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am now uh, uh, prepared to watch episode seven, I guess you're hinting. Yeah, it's just uh, I wanted to give that warning real quick. Uh, uh, but before we get there, there's, of course, episode six. We do things mm-hmm. in a logical, orderly order around uh, these parts. Dark Blue me. Moon. Dark Blue Moon uh, ha- has a brief cutaway to, you know, meanwhile at the Cujo Mansion. Yeah. And this only exists so we can hear a doctor sigh. <laughs> a speed wagon doctor just goes. Holly still exists. Things aren't great. Back to the action. <laughs> yeah. Part three, I think, is the only adaptation of any JoJo part where they actually add scenes that the manga didn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, part of this is just so that they can like reach a suitable like episode count for the two arcs of the manga. Cause otherwise it would end up a little short. I think mm-hmm. also part of it is just like, wow, this is the most like popular part overall of the entire series. So we really want to put extra stuff into it to make it longer. Every once in a while, we just get like, you know, back in the Cujo mansion or, you know, <laughs> we'll get some extra phone calls just to get characters we haven't seen in a while, like some extra action and stuff that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was never in the manga. But yeah, they're on a boat. They're going from Hong Kong to Singapore, uh, which is going to take them about three days to reach. 
Uh, Joseph wants the kids to ditch their uniforms because he feels lonely at the gun show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's wearing like a, a fucking sleeveless red and white striped shirt to show off his gigantic old man guns. He's looking mm-hmm. good. I mean, I guess it's the hormone, but uh, both Jotaro and Kakyoin brought no other clothes other than their student uniform. Uh, <laughs> And Joseph's annoyed by this. Like, uh, it, it is an interesting point because uh, Jonathan and Joseph changed their clothes all the time uh, uh, yeah. in, the, in their adventures. And Joseph continues to do so now as, as a supporting character in, in uh, Jotaro's. As you've described Stardust Crusaders, it's like the emblematic cast mm. of, of a JoJo cast is the one whose central character, at least so far, is the one who has the most of a, well, uniform in the character sense. It is also yep. literally a uniform in the story yep. that, that he does not deviate from. Yeah. There's a difference between like a classic look and uh, the, the cartoon thing where, you know, Doug Funny opens his closet and it's the same <laughs> sweater vest over and over again 10 times. Yeah. Kakioin says, like, explains why he didn't bring any other clothes, and that's, well, I'm a good boy, and uh, <laughs> I am still a student, so I have to represent my school. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I will continue to mm-hmm. wear my high school uniform. Uh, while, while as Jotaro, just like, he just likes his clothes, and he doesn't want to wear anything else. Fuck you, old man. Yeah, yeah. And then we meet Smokey 2, Sassy Smokey. Oh, yeah, Sassy Smokey. Uh, there, doing the, there's the a kid that... with overalls and, and a little hat. Kid, kid looks like they should be slinging papes or maybe uh, uh, yes, bugging some street gang to let him in, even though they're too little. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the this episode is doing this thing that like whenever it comes up, it's just kind of annoying to me, which mm-hmm. is just like okay, here's like a new character or something, and it is very clearly like. From the instant you see them, the show is setting up, oh, you mean they're a girl? And it's yeah. always just like, it's it's just also because like the signifiers for that and the character design is always so obvious. And it's just like, it's one, oh my God, blank is a girl or a boy. And we thought they were the opposite gender is like, not a surprise to me. Stop doing that. <laughs> Stop doing that. You know, this was made in the 80s, fucking whatever. But it's just like that thing where it's also just like, from just looking at the character, you know, they're going for that reveal and it takes mm-hmm, minutes mm-hmm. to do, and it's just like, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it it is a it. classic trope of adventure at sea. You know, the the yeah. young stowaway is actually a girl. Whoa. Uh, yeah. I mean, all, all the way up to, what, the second Pirates movie? <laughs> like, yes. For a yes. really recent yeah. example. But yeah, yeah. Especially how she's found out is fucking weird, but we'll get there. <laughs> yep. That's yeah, yep. This this kid is great. I love her. <laughs> All oh no, yeah, she's fun. She's fun. Uh, yeah, like the this guy in the ship is just going like, hey, you know, we can't have stowaways here. I'm, you know, we gotta like discipline you. And uh, this kid just fucking bites this dude's arm really <laughs> yeah. hard. And Shit. as he's screaming, they just jump out of the boat and just start <laughs> swimming away. <laughs> well, th- this is after she threatens to break his balls uh, uh, before, right, yeah. you know, they-, they can, you know, turn her in because she's stowing away for a reason. She's got places to fucking be. <laughs> yep. So, so yeah, this places her in a lineage with both Jonathan threatening thugs in, in Ogre Alley uh, and uh, mm-hmm. Jotaro, who has actually destroyed balls. <laughs> <laughs> Mouth violence and ball violence. The top two kinds of violence. violence. 
Yeah. So, you know, she's jumped into the water. She's swimming away. Everyone's like worried, but it's every, Jotaro isn't just like, she wouldn't have jumped in there unless she knew how to swim good. And she does. But at the same time, oh no, there's sharks in this, in these, <laughs> in these waters. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. basically immediately a shark is, is coming up behind this girl to, to attack her. And just as it's about to chomp down on her, Star Platinum just emerges from the water and punches the ever-loving shit out of this shark and kills it. Yeah, like we see Star Platinum go, but we see most of this encounter. It's not really long enough to call a fight. Like, it's over. But we see most of it from the kid's perspective, which means a shark just flies out and gets impacts from nowhere. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's such a good trick to like get us, you know, on her side in her shoes. Like, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but it's weird. The shark just exploded. Yeah. But this is when we find out that that this young boy (gasps) is not a boy because. Oh, my God. uh, Oh, my God. Jojo uh, starts to like grab her and bring her back. But he grabs not the shoulder, but the chest. Can we not grope the kids? Yeah. Wait a minute. That's like a 12 year old girl's chest, not a 12 year old boy. I can tell the difference. What? Yeah. What the fuck is your problem? What the fuck? Jojo, come on. Yeah. And and her hat comes off and she has like fucking shampoo commercial mermaid hair. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, as like Jotaro is, you know, swimming back to the boat with her to to bring her back on, the, the shark that is now dead and, you know, in the, in, you know, far in the background now, mm-hmm. uh, suddenly like splits in half, and there's something else in the water now that is definitely not a shark, but definitely a stand. It's got evil glowing eyes. We we know we're in a dangerous place because a shark has died. Does this mean sharks are the dogs of the sea? Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's this is is this the first animal death we get in, in part three? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. We haven't gotten to a shark death yet, of which there are multiple, or a dog death in Stardust Crusaders, of which there are multiple. We've got our first shark death. You know, Jotaro can't swim any faster than he is already. Star Platinum isn't, like, super great for swimming. Mm-hmm. The, this thing in the water is coming up super fast, so Kakyoin sends out Hermit Hierophant Green, you know, it's long range to grab him from farther away and pull him back up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This show, like, its animation is fine you know, like it, it's not mob psycho 100 you know it's just not yeah uh it's fine and it's visually sold by like inheriting so much flair uh, uh mm-hmm. from uh, uh the source material and adding more on with you know the color shifting and and, and everything but right. there are moments where it's just like Man, I, I see you cutting corners. Like, oh yeah, the the way uh, Jojo where is apparently like supposed to be like treading water when he brings the kid back, but it looks like he's just standing in a waist deep pool, perfectly still. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> How long are your legs? They go to the bottom of the ocean, buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stars Crusaders saves like the really good animation for very specific bits. But at the same time, it never gets to a point where it's just like, it looks really bad. No, no, I would never say it looks bad. I would just say it, yeah. it's like, Akira, it's not, you know, that that's not. Yeah. <laughs> Constant like, dynamism is not the angle it's taking. No, yeah. And it's like, uh, the, the animation studios, David Production, they do a lot of anime, like all the time. Uh, and they seem like a place that's pretty like economical where you get decent looking, you know, good looking stuff that isn't 
you know, super dynamic all the time, but when it really matters, like they do good. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Part three is long. It is a, uh, <laughs> it's 49 episodes. I think it's basically more than like two seasons of a show. So I think, you know, they, they get a good, like equal ground for the most part. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the instant they pull this girl up, she goes, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but do you want to fight? And then she pulls out a switchblade. <laughs> And she's constantly tossing the switchblade from one hand to the other. And she's like, I'm going to stab the shit out of you guys. And, and these all five wondering. dudes, these five dudes on a quest to kill an immortal super vampire are like, I don't know how to handle this. I've, this kid could take us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this and is it's fucking like, weird, dudes. And, and they're, they're wondering, like, could this kid be a stand user? You know, we can't rule out, the, rule out the possibility. She's like the big, you know, she's sticking out like a sore thumb out of everybody else in this boat. But after a certain point, she keeps tossing the knife back and forth, and, and Abdul's like, you know, just straight up asks her, like, how's Dio doing? And she doesn't know what the <laughs> fuck they're talking about. Master she just keeps... of subtlety. Like, he introduces this, like, guys, guys, it's okay. I've got a plan. Yeah. <laughs> how's Dio doing these days? <laughs> <laughs> and she's just like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. She calls them punks and just keeps going, like, I'm going to stab you. Who wants to go first? I'm going to fucking stab you. I will stab you. And and she calls Kakuin a jerk hole? Yes, yeah, she does. Uh she calls her knife the demon blade that yes. thirsts for blood. It will uh, not rest until it, it drinks of blood of her enemies. Yeah, and she says it's looking for its three hundred and fortieth victim. Uh <laughs> And so then the instant she says that, everyone goes, Oh, this girl's just a rascal. She's not a stand user. <laughs> And they immediately go like, I like this girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's cool. All right. And the instant they're, you know, they're done like figuring out like the little girl can't be a stand user because she's too precious with her switchblade. He's a, the, the ship captain shows up uh, on loan from massive. the village people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is who this guy is. Yeah. He's got a little hat and a neckerchief. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, uh, but but yeah, we're, we're all on the back foot because Avdol has never heard of an aquatic stand user. Like such a thing may be possible, but but not one I've ever heard of. And he's our stand expert, so like, whoa, uncharted waters in more ways than one. Yeah. So the captain is here to like enforce the law. You know, yeah. Number one, we got a, a stowaway. That's a problem. I got to take care of. Number two, yes, Mr. Joe Star, I did personally vet everyone's background checks. They're all loyal, upstanding seamen. Uh, uh, number three, put that cigarette out, you punk. Yeah, j- yeah. In the background, Jotaro started uh, lighting a cigarette. Uh, so the Netflix version of Part Three is not censored like Part One and Two were. Uh, or at least not as much so literally in the when i was watching the show and it was the crunchyroll versions which were just the tv broadcast versions in japan where they have to censor certain things any instance of smoking was censored so jotaro's face just has a black veil over it whenever he was smoking oh my god yeah no you're supposed to turn it into a sucker did we learn nothing from one piece (laughs) (laughs) see it was really funny that like some of the violence wasn't censored uh, at least if, if it wasn't animal violence, it usually wasn't censored as much unless it was super gory. But any mm-hmm. instance of smoking, what's happening? Black Veil. Well, th- this uh, uh, smoking uh, uh, doesn't last long because the captain plucks the cigarette from Jojo's mouth and then stubs it out on the medallions he has uh, on his hat. Yeah. And he's just like, what the fuck were you going to do when you were done smoking that? Were you going to toss it into the, the sea that I love so much? Fuck you. <laughs> um <laughs> 
and the, the the captain specifically, like while he has vetted everyone else on the ship, the captain himself is like a part of or an associate of the Speedwagon Foundation. But but this sort of disrespect, uh, Jotaro will not allow it to stand. Nobody tells him not to smoke. He liquefied the nuts of three surgeons general for, for trying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jotaro says, you know, I, I meant to be rude, but I have figured it out. The captain is the stand user. <gasps> you know, everyone else is very surprised that Jotaro is, is somehow sussed out that the captain is the guy commanding this, this stand and stuff. I'm the not captain... surprised because his name is Captain Dragon and he looks like a Venture Brothers character. He's the stand <laughs> user. Yeah. The captain is just like, huh? What's a stand? And Jotaro goes... Uh, well, I know he's a stand user because I figured out a tell uh, that every stand user has. And that is, stand users, if they're exposed to cigarette smoke, a vein on their nose pops up. And everyone goes, what? And they all touch their nose, including the captain. Jotaro made all that bullshit up. He just wanted to see if the captain would fall, <laughs> would also be shocked by this. He basically said, stand user says what? And it worked. Yeah. That was his plan. <laughs> And, and immediately the captain's just like, well, fuck, I'm a dumbass. He tricked me. Yep, it's me. He, yeah, he, he killed the, the actual captain uh, before they even, you know, left. So, so yeah, he unveils himself. He comes clean. And, and I'd like to introduce you to my stand, Dark Blue Moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the moon card represents fear of the unknown, he says. Tarot guides say that the moon is associated with hidden enemies. Sure. Danger. Calumny. Darkness, terror, deception, mm-hmm. occult forces, error. Okay. All right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah th- this is a really good match if you're going to have not only a sea monster, but also a sea monster controlled by an imposter, because this is not the, the captain uh, uh, we were meant to have. No, no. Mm-hmm. He killed uh, the Speedwagon Foundation captain and took his place. Yeah. Yeah, we, we see his stand in full now. It is, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like the creature of the Black Lagoon, but blue. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, sort of. You know, scaly, we- you know, webbed hands and feet, stuff like that. He's got four eyeballs. Mm-hmm. And sort of a, a cylindrical or, or like a disc-shaped head. But he, he immediately, his stand grabs this girl, and he's just like, hey, I'm just going to jump into the water with this lady. Try and fight me. And as he goes to, you know, jump backwards into the water, Jotaro is just so goddamn fast, he just punches the fucking shit out of this guy's face, <laughs> his stand's face, in midair. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. And is at least able to he he he's you know saves the girl. Kakyoin grabs him with his grabs her with with his stand. Good boy, he's a good, good boy. So the captain is just floating the water, just super bloody, and just going like, "Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> that hurt." If you wanted to to you know do a match a, a test of speed, which is how the captain presents this before he even jumps away, why not call out Silver Chariot? Huh? Mm-hmm. He's he's the speediest boy. Seems mm-hmm. to be. But but whatever this this is a star platinum you're you're been called out I'm taking you all on five on one but mostly one on one yeah uh, we we finally get star platinum stats in in the next title card they are very high yeah e- even throughout the rest of JoJo star platinum is just one of the best stands uh, mm-hmm, his, his mm-hmm. like worst stat is just range he's super close range. And that's a C. There, there are worse things for range than even than yeah, Star Platinum. Yeah, yeah, He has A for just about everything other than that. Yeah, I actually got ahead of myself a little bit. The the girl has not been pulled up yet. Uh, Jotaro grabbed her first, and as he's trying to pull her up, he can't like he just can't pull her up. He's getting pulled down somehow. 
Mm-hmm, uh, it mm-hmm. turns out uh, Blue Moon was able to land one attack on him, uh, and that was barnacles, evil barnacles. Evil barnacles are growing and spreading and, and uh, constricting Star Platinum, as well as draining his strength and, and uh, Jotaro's strength as well. Yeah. So yes, this is a secret attack dis- uh, disguised beneath another attack. The villains are doing the hero move now. You got to watch out. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this is where Kakyoin comes in with, with Iron Van Green to pull her up because uh, Jotaro just cannot move at all. He actually gets pulled underwater by these evil barnacles. This is where we establish that it is possible to speak underwater if you're a stand user because you can just use your, your stand to send your voice out through. Even being submerged will not stop a stand user from monologuing. Nothing can stop them. It's true. The the being able to talk underwater thing doesn't come up much, but it is consistent at least whenever it happens. (laughs) Uh, Less consistent in whose mouth is flapping, because sometimes it's the stand's mouth moving, and sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just the actual user's mouth moving. Whatever. And that's, yeah, both of those come up in this scene, I think. Yeah. Yeah, like immediately. Captain Dragon is is bragging that, uh, you know, hey, bro, you're fucked. You're underwater. You, you know, you might be able to hold your breath for a little bit, but I've practiced, you know, holding my breath underwater. Uh, I can go for a full six minutes and 21 seconds without having to breathe. His chest isn't huge because of pecs. That's all lungs, baby. It's, it's all lung, yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's outlining all of the ways that, uh, Jojo is fucked and trying to do the Joseph thing and predict, I bet I know what you're thinking. You're thinking yeah. this. Well, let me tell you why that's the wrong thing to think, boyo. While Jojo, you just have to follow the ancient wisdom and swim down. Always swim down. Yeah. Uh, the, the barnacles that got placed on him earlier are continuing to grow more and more, like just encasing his entire body uh, mm-hmm. to the point where he can't move too much. Uh, and, and Dark Blue Moon is, uh, he establishes one, he, all of his scales are razor sharp. Yes. Uh, he, he punches the propeller on the boat above them and just destroys it. Mm-hmm. And he starts to create a whirlpool. So he's just going to suck. Uh, he's just going to, he's just going to, you know, trap Jojo in this until he can't breathe anymore. He's just going to drown him. And the whirlpool is full of his razor fish scales so that the allies up on the surface cannot come down without, like, chopping their arms off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Kakyoin tries to do that, and yeah, his hand just immediately gets super cut up. Dark Blue Moon basically has every power you could think of for a wet boy. Yeah. His barnacles, the razor scales, the whirlpools, the swim's good. It's all of it. He can do it all. Yeah, he, he's just entirely, yeah all water things he's got it but yeah jotaro is is stuck in this whirlpool and this guy just says out loud i bet you're thinking you're just gonna let yourself get dragged into the center of the whirlpool and just punch me well i'd like to see you try it <laughs> good luck um you know the everyone on top is saying like oh no he's getting sucked into the the center of the whirlpool whirlpool a word I cannot say correctly. And uh, Joseph is just like, actually, my grandson's pretty good. I think this is good that this is happening. Yeah. It's good that he's gone completely limp. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jotaro's gone completely limp. He's getting sucked up into the, the center of the whirlpool. Yeah. He's been conserving his strength, now basically completely encased in, in his barnacles. And he uses all of his power to do a single move, a new move. Single bullshit move. 
Yeah, I don't like Starfinger. Thankfully, <laughs> Starfinger comes up like twice. Okay. <laughs> Starfinger is just, hey, what if Star Platinum's fingers can stretch really long? And so one super focused punch that just caves in the brain of Dark Blue Moon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is uh the the Dark Blue Moon fight might be my least favorite stand fight out of anything compared to later stand fights where it's a lot more like my guy, my stand can do one specific thing. This guy is just like, well, I got razor sharp scale, like do the whirlpool, yeah, like yeah. you know, yada yada. It, it, it's I I've closed off every possible thing. You can't do anything. I can do a thousand things, you can do nothing. And the, then the response is, actually, I can do a thing. Yeah, it, but but it's not you know set up. It's not foreshadowed even. Like we've never seen Star Platinum be stretchy. You know? Yeah, and I think the stretchy Starfinger comes up one more time. Maybe it is a power that like Araki went like actually nah. <laughs> Later times where it's like ah Star Platinum you know turns the tables at the last second and wins. It is done in better, more interesting ways than my fingers can stretch all of a sudden. Uh, if Star Platinum's last uncovered spot ha- had uh, been able to do something with pre- precision, like, you know, yeah, a flick of the neck in such a perfect way that its hair, like, uh, diverts the path of a, a razor scale to then uh, boomerang around and free yeah. an arm for punching, that would be fucking baller. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. fixed it. I did better. I win. Give me the prize. All right. Time to start our own JoJo spinoff. <laughs> Let's call it Diesel. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's probably the weak, one of the weakest fights. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because there isn't any satisfying turnabout. It's just like, okay, no, yeah, I punch you. You thought I couldn't, but I could. But I could. Gotcha, bitch. I punched you. But yeah, that guy's stand, and therefore his face just gets fucking caved in. Yeah, yeah. And he gets a couple words out, just like, fuck ow i didn't you got me the immortal last words of uh uh, captain dragon are blub 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 (laughs) yeah yeah but (laughs) it turns out captain dragon uh in his dying moments sets off all the bombs he had secretly planted on the boat and so it just fucking goes up in flames Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm and he, he strands any everybody anyways. The, the cast and the little girl and the, the crew are able to escape on a lifeboat, but now they're just stranded. I'm expecting them to eventually, like, travel by camel and the camel explodes. Yeah, you know, you're kind of close. <laughs> <laughs> but you're skipping JoJo's uh, uh, final victorious one-liner. <laughs> oh, right. He reveals that he wasn't ever thinking any of those things that the captain said he was probably thinking. He was just thinking about how gross it is that when somebody, you know, dies, they they wet themselves and he's going to be swimming in the same ocean as all that pee. <laughs> what yeah. the fuck, Josh? <laughs> yeah. No one is good at one-liners in Stardust <laughs> no, for the most part. Very bad. They're really bad, but it's almost endearing in a way because it just comes off as a bunch of guys being just, who are just huge nerds trying to be cool a lot of the Welcome time. Welcome to my ocean. You'll notice there's no P in it. People usually don't spell ocean with a P, so this doesn't work as well as the pool thing. <laughs> <laughs> now the boat explodes. 
but everyone escapes on a lifeboat, but they're, you know, mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. have very little water. And the kid is wasting it by taking a drink and doing a spit take. Yeah, they do. She does a little uh, a spit take, and Joseph gets a little upset, like, hey, man, you know, that's our only water, but she's doing a spit take because it's very foggy all of a sudden, and uh, right next to them, out of nowhere, is a gigantic ship that is there mm. to, you know, potentially rescue them. And that's the end of episode six. This ship looks very sinister, though. Like, it, it, it yeah. comes out of a sinister fog. I don't think it's a very friendly boat. Uh, it's probably not a friendly boat. It's, it's no it's Theodore the say. tugboat, let me tell yeah. you. Uh, so, yeah, that, that is the end of episode six, and therefore the end of what we watched uh, uh, this week. This is shaping up to be a, a fun little, like, like you said, a stand user of the week structure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to miss... When we leave the stage where every other episode we get a new friend. Yeah, yeah. Just imagine how much fun it would be if, you know, they get to Egypt, kick down Dio's door, and there's 40 dudes. Yeah. Yeah, and while while the majority of the show continues to be stand of the week, there's certain characters where it's like, wow, that stand of the week user was, like, pretty fun, and they become recurring villains or characters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So we still, you know, are going to meet some, you know, new recurring characters along the way. Out of these three episodes, uh, episodes five and, and or four and five, I like a lot. Six is kind of weak for me just because of the fight and all that. And also being weird to the girl. Yeah, but introducing the girl. And it's such a strong introduction. It is a strong intro, though. I like her a lot. So it, at least it's introducing, you know, a, a pretty fun character. The things that come from her are great, brilliant, wonderful. The things that are done around her, iffy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, like I said earlier, uh, yeah, episode seven also does some iffy stuff with her. It's not a lot, thankfully. It's quick from what I remember. I might be wrong. I misremembered how much (laughs) Joseph was buddies with the Nazis. So (laughs) don't, you know, take my word with a grain of salt. But but episode seven, I remember being kind of wild. So look forward to that. Okay, all right. And, uh, you know, the the further we go along, the stronger the stand fights get because they, they... you know, Rocky starts working out more of like how those fights should go. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. they lean more and more into less just punching and going, well, I have a special attack too. And more into like the part two style strategizing and how can I do a wacky thing with my stand to beat this dude mm-hmm. uh, where punching just, just punching is not an effective manner of winning a fight. <laughs> <laughs> you ever try to punch a bug? Doesn't work doesn't work yeah even with the the bug like punching especially a flying you know, bug my goodness yeah for even from the beginning the the sand of the week stuff i think is already you know working out pretty decently and also just kind of having a road trip mm-hmm. arc i guess is fun like you change up the scenery a lot but even from the get-go like there's a couple things that y- you can notice and that is basically if you're in the world of jojo if there is anything even slightly out of the ordinary you got to be fucking extremely suspicious of it yeah. <laughs> you know, like anybody you don't know, like stranger danger here, like <laughs> they're a stand user if they're if you don't know them. And even if it's like, no, they're vetted, like, are they really? Are they? Are they? Are they? Hey, how's Dio doing these days? If that had worked. <laughs> if that yeah. had worked. How's Dio doing these days? Oh, what the You got me. He's doing great. <laughs> he's chilling out with his bird have you seen his bird it is kind of interesting to see the way dio is presented this time around because he is always if you ever see dio he's extremely covered in shadow he is very much like in the background 
Mm-hmm. And most of the time you see Dio is not what he's doing, but what he did in the past via uh, flashbacks. Yeah, yeah. Dio seems to have grown up in a sense. Dio is is okay with delayed gratification and long term planning. Yeah, like, like he. Uh, uh, if you think back to to you know part one, Dio, he's like, oh man, I'm a vampire. I'm gonna eat the whole world and become king of a planet of vampires, and I'm gonna do that in about a week. Like that, it, that that's how long this should take. Yeah, he he has learned to like plan more uh, after getting extremely owned because he was too hasty uh, and just <laughs> thought he could just beat up everybody on his own. But yeah, that that's uh, episodes four through six. Mm-hmm. Be back next week with seven through nine, which I think you know, immediately start improving on the stand fights a bit. We, we start getting weirder with the stands, getting a little oh, more creative oh with good. them. Oh, good. Oh, good. It's it's not just going to be, I got a lizard man or I got a bug. It gets weirder, more unique stuff, and it's it's pretty fun. So with that, we, we will leave you until then. Before we go, I, I would like to uh, uh, invite people to check out uh, a game that I made that is right around its first anniversary. Oh, gosh. Wow. There was like a soft launch a little earlier, so I'm not sure what to call its birthday. But it's right around its birthday. It's called Last Shooting. It is a uh, two-player tabletop role-playing game about uh, being a a pair of mech pilots uh, in a series of duels uh, uh, escalating along with the the war around you that you're in. Uh, I imagine you could suit it to tell different stories, but that's the story that the rules assume you're you're using it to tell. Uh, You can find it on itch.io. Uh, uh, you can also find it on DriveThruRPG. PDFs on both of those storefronts, the, the uh, print version, print on demand, that is, is only available on DriveThruRPG. If you want a physical copy, that's where you got to go. Mm. I really liked making that game. I love hearing about people who play it. Uh, every time <laughs> somebody like messages me and like, let me tell you about uh, my pilot. It is the dopest, coolest shit. Uh, <laughs> I get, and you know that that's the lesson you take from designing your own game. You you, you wind up making a game you would want to play, and then uh, uh, the stories that come out of it tend to be the kind of stories you love to hear. So I, everybody who tells me about their last shooting session is just like so fucking cool to me. <laughs> yeah, that is super cool, and I, I see some of those people on Twitter like telling you sometimes, and it's it's, it's great. Always, it's super fucking cool seeing that. Have you ever have you ever thought of designing another game or? If I have another idea for a game, I'll make it. Okay. That, sure. That's where Last Shooting came from. I just had an idea that was stuck in my head, and then it became a full game after uh, I think I like idly tweeted, like, man, it's weird having uh, ideas for things that I know will never go anywhere. And then somebody mm. was like, hey, you should actually write it down. Like, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then a few months later, like, I've gone through a full round of playtesting, and I got, uh, you know, a professional cover from uh, uh, Cy Sweetman, who's amazing. It's, it's, that's Everyone should check out cover. Cy Sweetman's art. It's so fucking good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and now here, here we are talking about it today. Gosh, that was, that was a good experience making that game. I really liked it. Yeah. God, I can't believe it was that long ago already, though. <laughs> right? It feels like it's still, like, new, you know? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but as, as far as things that are much newer, uh, this show is one, and you can help us uh, uh, grow and develop by uh, leaving a rating on uh, uh, Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that leaves you the option. Algorithms can be your friend. They can be if you make them. I hate the algorithm. <laughs> I hate bending to the will of the algorithm. Damn you. <laughs>
But a, a more uh, direct bit of support you can give is uh, just a reminder, this, uh, along with all of our other collaborations, are supported on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patreon.com slash Chip and Ironicus. Yes? Uh, yes. Yep. So yeah, that, that supports this show. That supports all of our Let's Plays. That supports uh, your streaming that I... Uh, never really take much of a part in because uh, of schedule things, but that's okay. Yeah, uh, it's also like <laughs> it's generally very impromptu. I want to have you on more streams, but it's just like I never plan my streams out. <laughs> I yeah, need to do yeah. that. You know, maybe by the time people are hearing this go up in the feed, uh, uh, that might be different. Who knows? Yeah, there, there, there's always been some games where it's just like that would be fun to cover, but I never really want to do a high effort let's play of it. So maybe we could just do it through that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's summer now. <laughs> Anything could happen. It's true. Yeah, it's true. With all that business behind us, it is once again time to say farewell, and, and we will be back on the same same JoJo time, same JoJo channel. Uh, new stands and new wild ass pulls uh, to talk about. <laughs> See you later, everybody. To be continued. To be continued.